0: there's a there's a
1: there's a legendary old story uh, it, I, I was going to call it a wives tale but that's probably not correct um, yeah not the guy that told it was a bachelor so. yeah uh, it talked,
2: and, and it was in a bar so you, you
1: no, 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 really... <laughs> no, no 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 it talked about some sort of experimental uh, aircraft fighter jet I think was the version I heard uh, that had a lot of fly-by-wire controls in it and 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 in testing it the very very first time they flew it on autopilot across south across the equator, when it passed the equator, zero latitude and went to the minus latitudes, the autopilot caused the aircraft to flip inverted right and <laughs> and fly upside down and then well, hilarity there, ensued you know but I don't uh,
2: know about I don't know about that story, but there there was widely reported at the at the time
1: thank you. Yeah. The
2: first time a flock of F-22s crossed the International Date Line westbound, okay. um all of their systems shut down.
1: Yeah. Okay. And so that brings us to the uh to the uh uh <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm blank what do they call these things? An S A I B? It's a –
0: Special
1: Special airworthiness bulletin. All right, that just came. When did this just come out? Yeah, May seventeenth. Came out today. Yeah. That says basically, if you own this particular kind of uh, of avionics, be careful because if you do a sustained bank turn, the equipment may reset. I don't know. But you, you, you seem to be particularly tickled by this, I, I joke.:
2: I, I find the whole thing a little, not so much interesting, not so much funny, but just interesting. The, the details are in—I I didn't send you the details. Look at the details. The conditions yeah. that may initiate this reset occur when operating in regions where the Earth's magnetic field vector is close to vertical, e.g. northern Canada, northern Russia— and Antarctica.
1: Oh, no, really? Okay, okay. that's yeah. Uh-huh. The, re-
2: the reset may occur after 30 seconds of turning, 30 seconds of turning. In other words, it's standard rate turn, t- standard two minute turn, 90 degree turn.
1: Right. Okay.
2: The reset may occur after 30 seconds of turning when bank angle exceeds 35 degrees and speed is greater than 150 knots. <laughs>
1: And you're patting your head and rubbing your stomach.
2: Exactly. (laughs) If the reset occurs, it results in a temporary loss of altitude. I'm sorry, attitude and heading, typically not lasting longer than 45 seconds.
1: (laughs) 45 seconds.
0: So it's no big deal. (laughs) It's
2: just just an eternity. Um,
1: (laughs) So (laughs) I don't know. This
0: this is just. yeah, I'm I'm loving this idea. Night IMC over Antarctica, and I lose well, attitude and heading reference for 45 seconds.
2: Well, well, I'm just I'm just trying to figure out the A. You know who discovered this? Which yeah. I you know I <laughs> like to have a that check. is a good I'm, one. Yep. Yeah. B. Um, what is it about the software? And apparently this is software. It's not uh, um, uh, hardware. Uh, what is it about the software that changed? all of a sudden that this is a problem or is this the first time you know this is something that's deeply embedded in the in the original code and somebody finally flew one of these so equipped aircraft into this geographic area and discovered this issue i i'd really like to know
0: yeah well and it it and it does refer to a specific ahrs attitude heading reference system uh hardware right that's that's it's the sensor the software, hardware that yeah. just it's the software i i take it the same way jeb does that Something about the way the hardware is sensing uh-huh. what's going on is confusing. I think I to think it's more I
2: think it's I it sound like to me more of a math error because they're talking about, you know, not one dot zero or not even two dot zero versions of of the hardware. I'm sorry, of the software in in the uh airwithiness bulletin director or the uh, the targeted systems. Uh I don't see that the 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 hardware itself has has changed much. I think we're talking about a software revision.
0: I, I do too, but I'm, what I'm saying is that there's something in what the software is reading off the sensor mm-hmm. that confuses it. Right. Uh the sensors the same, the software versions are 2.1 to 3.02 and on the helicopter version of the sensor ver- software only software version 3.50. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think you're on the money there. But it it makes me wonder if there's not something in the sensing resolution of the device that the software update mm-hmm. no longer reads correctly.
2: Okay, so you have an earth. Uh, the Earth's magnetic field vector is close to vertical. Okay. Yeah. So.
1: Oh. Okay. Yeah. 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 All Isn't right. it? I
2: guess. Oh, I, I see what it's saying. Okay. The 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 different the angular difference between the north and south poles. Is not very great. Does that make right. sense?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah okay. Based,
2: up, based on, on your location.
0: Yeah. But if you, look at it, if you look at a map of the magnetic field of the Earth, yeah. you know, it's like these D slices of a, uh, that make the, the letter D with the vertical part going through the Earth's core from the North Pole to the South Pole. And then it curves around almost parallel to the Earth's surface till it gets to the opposite pole. then it curves almost vertical right, and it dives and into the into the magnetic right. pole right, right. Yeah. They don't actually converge down there. There's just kind of a dead hole there huh. It was always kind of intriguing to watch a compass that's flying over the North Pole or the South Pole trying to figure out which way to point oh because yeah, at I, some yeah. points it starts trying to point down right right right, yeah. Yeah, so I like the recommendation.
1: So, the recommendation yeah. is basically, doctor, it hurts when I do this. Well, don't do that exactly. is, is basically the recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> All right? It says in, well, the effect, in the affected regions, the FAA recommends that you refrain <laughs> from operating at a bank angle exceeding <laughs> 35 degrees.
2: That's what it says. If it, <laughs> more if it hurts when you do seconds. that,
0: stop doing it. Yeah, right, yeah. And yeah. If, you got a, if you got a bank at greater than 150 knots and 35 degrees, only 44 seconds not yeah, 44. right. Yeah. That's only right. Only 44 seconds. So that IFR timer on your yoke started when you break 35 <laughs> degrees. Yeah. That's right. So now what? no all all getting aside for anybody who's really in my, I
1: don't know if anybody's nervous about this. Um for those of our listeners I guess who are flying uh in Antarctica uh and didn't we actually hear from a listener in Antarctica one time? Oh, see, we're going to save somebody's life yeah. here. Um, what can you got? There's a big long list of systems and aircraft here. Can you summarize this? Is there a theme to these uh, systems? Cirrus, Cirrus uh, glass panels. Cirrus glass panels. Okay, I'm
2: sorry, not Cirrus. I'm sorry. Uh, excuse me, Garmin glass panels. Garmin. Okay. Gla- yeah. yeah. Oh, and
0: a that G-Ballon. includes a, it, it's Right. A, it's a sensor. The the GRS-77 and, and 77H are the attitude and heading reference sensors common to all of these. And it's the Garmin G500, G500H, which is for the helicopters, G600. And those are all the little all-in-one box with split screens. Well, you know, one side PFD, one side multifunction display. As well as the G900X, which is an experimental version of the G1000, I believe. The G nine fifty, uh the G one thousand and one thousand H, the Cirrus Perspective, and Embraer Prodigy integrated flight deck systems. All of them that use the GRS seventy seven version uh software versions two point one through three point zero two. So whatever you do. In a stay away from the poles until they fix this. Yeah, I know, I know. This has been our geophysical lesson for the day. Yeah, yeah that's right. Well, on that note, welcome. I'm very folks. often, I very often find myself nearly vertical to the poles, but that's another story. Yeah, right. Welcome, folks,
1: to uh, episode two hundred and eighty-seven of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. Claire. A of background noise throughout the day, but it's just
2: airplanes, so it's not, it's it's not really noise. Good background noise. That's yeah, right. this That's is right. this is the best seat in the
1: house. That's right we got skyriders now. We got skyriders now. We got skyriders now. Sky riders they, riders they now. Have, <laughs> it, does that say UCap? I can't. It's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> and you're in sight, Cleveland. Turkey, Mitchell Brown. Good afternoon, sir. Taxi via Fox and Delta. We are uh, recording this episode on uh, Thursday evening, uh, May 17th, 2012, and uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar, and hopefully nowhere near either of the uh, magnetic pol- poles, is uh, my two good friends, uh, Dave Higgins out there, talking to us from Wichita, Kansas, which is just about as far away from one of the poles as you can get. No, that's not exactly true, but you're way... Well, yeah,
0: yeah we're, we're, we're a good ways from the equator yet, but uh, we, we, we'd be a long flight getting in anywhere near Antarctica and uh in north pole this time of year there's not enough ice to land on anymore so yeah but that's the whole point yeah, you'd be flying you know so uh yeah but uh, you want a landing place
1: yeah well that's just true. case yeah i know speaking of which that's a story that's going to come up later on but that's another uh-uh. thing altogether uh,
0: so uh, what's
1: going on david how you doing
0: uh... we're doing wonderful uh got a bunch of work done this week uh getting a little play time in uh This is the least intense week of my month, and we're kind of enjoying that. That's cool. Before it ratchets back up again in a few days. Yeah, I've got
2: the same luxury and the same
1: problem. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And and looking forward to next weekend, which is uh, Memorial Day. uh, Not not next week. And and watching those thirty-three cars line up at the brickyard in Indianapolis. Is next
1: weekend indeed Memorial Day? I think
0: not this coming weekend, but
1: next. Not this coming weekend, but the next one. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That other voice out there is my other good friend, uh, because I only have two. Uh, (laughs) Jeb Burnside is out there talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. Hi, Jeb. How you doing? I got to be good to you guys because you're all I got. Jack, the day
0: is
2: young. Yeah,
1: that's right, yeah. I don't know what that means. You mean I'm going to end the day with more or less good friends? I don't know.
2: I, I'm not going there. Oh, just, okay, I'm all right. Saying, How are you doing, uh,
1: Jeff? What's going on?
2: Uh, I'm doing well. All right. uh, productive week. Uh, Weather is finally good. It rained like nobody's business last night. Oh,
1: really? Good, good. Uh, Finally,
2: we got, we got some decent rain down uh-huh. here, but you know, we got a long way to go. Uh, but just a great day and uh, getting some stuff done, taking names, kicking butt.
1: Yeah, cool. Now, there's, there's a subject that's been verboten With you, still it's (laughs) okay. All right, never mind. We'll come back to that later on. (laughs) Yeah, just still it. Pretend I didn't talk about that. All right. You know,
2: you control the vertical. You control the horizontal.
1: I know, but you know, I like to tease. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I've heard that about you. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm and I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm Yay! talking to you from high atop Lookout Point in Nottingham, New Hampshire. We had a big line of thunderstorms come through last night. My goodness gracious! But it was it was pretty on the radar. We had blue and purple echoes on the uh, on the radar last night.
2: I love those purple echoes.
1: Man. Yeah. Don't you-
2: Especially well, when they're like going away from you.
1: Yeah, going away from you. Well, they were coming right at me. Um, but uh, we have a we have a geographical structure. There's a mountain, what we call a mountain here in New England, um, in uh, just to the to the uh, west of us here at Lookout Point, Point. and it, it's always struck me that that hill, that that geography. Causes these these lines of storms to kind of break up and disperse just a little bit, because it's funny how these 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 dramatic lines of weather will be coming right at us, and then they'll just kind of almost part and go around Lookout Point. Well, and
2: we saw that regularly when I lived in D.C. You'd see these these uh snowstorms and cold fronts come marching in from the Midwest, and you know Ohio would get clobbered. Mm-hmm. Okay, Ohio's got two feet of snow, and the thing hits the Blue Ridge Mountains and it goes northeast yeah and, and dc doesn't really get much the only time dc really gets clobbered is when there's a low pressure system that moves up the eastern seaboard such that it's it brings water off the ocean through evaporation Of course brings that water uh, in the, the counterclockwise rotation into much colder air, and that's when we get dumped on.
0: Right. Didn't you tell oh, me th- what a treat it is to be there when that happens.
1: Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It's oh, man, Jeb, didn't you tell me, uh, right, we're talking about weather again. See, I, t- I promised myself we weren't going to talk about weather. Real quickly, Jeb, didn't you tell me one time that there's some, I don't know if it's even just sort of an urban legend, but there's something about the Tampa Bay area that causes the hurricanes to divert or something like well, that?
2: Well, there's, I think it's more of an urban legend than anything, but um, so so the supposition is that this area of, of Florida has never really been hit head-on um, by a hurricane,
1: mm-hmm. to
2: at least in recorded history.
1: Okay. Or and they think that's some, why? Some
2: nonsense. I don't, I, I don't even know, A, if I've got it right. B, um, uh, I don't know if it's just location or circumstance. And the minute I even talk about this, yeah, the know. next email I get will be a cat five bearing down. <laughs> right, so okay.
0: I, right. I don't, really I'm really, am not sure I want to talk about All it. Right. Well, we we have the same legend and the same anecdotal evidence here about tornadoes and getting to the uh, terrain just southwest of Wichita and the rivers, of which there are two that come together right in downtown Wichita. Uh, the uh, tornadoes that we get it tend to wobble a little bit more east or a little bit more west when they get to that same area down right. there. We had that example again a few weeks ago. Right, you were telling us about that. It wobbled and it was coming right at your
1: house and then it veered southward,
0: right? Yeah, it, it would yeah, it veered a little off to the east uh and it went up the track that one one uh storm had followed 21 years earlier. Fortunately, this one wasn't as severe, didn't stay down as long, but there's so much stuff about the micrometeorology and the interaction between terrain uh and and uh, the right. micrometeorological uh, uh effects of, of of weather that we don't yet understand it's going to keep guys busy arguing about this well, for centuries
2: and and you know even if even if it's if it's like say what shall we say non repeatable you know there's also this the school of thought well, all right this happened it was a disaster um, the chances of it happening again in our lifetimes or our immediate future are nil. Mm-hmm. You, you yeah. could say the same thing about Afghanistan after after the Russians left uh, in the eighties. So uh, you know, hey, great, let's let's move to Afghanistan. It's a great place. You couldn't imagine another superpower invading the place and shooting it up.
0: <laughs> It'd have to you have know, more sense it, it, than that. In our
2: lifetime. <laughs> yeah, you know?
0: I know. Okay. Maybe. There you go. And, and <laughs> they right. should be able to put that into a meteorological program somewhere. That's right. I mean, you know, yeah. Well, so, they... Yeah, or so, beat them with meteors. One of the so, two. So you
2: know, you you tell me. You know, give it five ten years, of course. But yep. wouldn't
1: Afghanistan be a perfect place to relocate? From? Yeah, I know, right. Well, there we go. We've broken two of the rules. We talked much about weather, and we talked about politics. Let's move on. Uh, uh, I came across a cool picture. This is uh, this is the first uh, item on the list. Is a uh, a photo a very very high resolution at least it looks to me very detailed picture
0: of oh it it is I know the camera yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, of uh, of what is uh, is captioned to be a seven forty seven a seven forty seven sp, w- SP. W- what's special about an sp it's, it's a faster fuselage
2: it's the, it's the fastest of the seven forty sevens. it's a much shorter fuselage it was originally designed for short haul high density operations in Japan.
1: Mm-hmm and uh according again according to the caption this is a, a 747 that belongs to iran air okay. um and it's uh, an
0: old airplane yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah
1: at all anymore the photographer uh got a a jump seat ride apparently and uh, took this picture and in the caption uh and and so the two things i found notable one is it's just a cool picture um you can kind of really see how much instrumentation and 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 switches and knobs and buttons there are here it's it's very cool uh the other thing is that uh the caption says Let's see now. Uh, To say I'm thrilled to visit the 747SP cockpit in flight in 2012 is an understatement. The captain did the unthinkable. He pushed the plane to the fastest speed possible, Mach 0.884 during my cockpit visit to show me what the 747SP can do. And here's the part I liked. He said, in parentheses, he says, mind you, we were against the wind, too. <laughs> 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 okay, so yeah, you have the same uh, reaction yeah. I did then. Good, okay. Yeah, okay, fine. All right. So, uh, you know, I don't know what I... You know, first of all, I'm not sure if that's all that fast. I mean, it's fast, 0.84. The, you know, my 152 won't do that, but... Uh, um Mach point eight is is what's Mach point eight? That's you know airliners do Mach point eight, don't they? No, yeah, they do Mach point 0.8. eight
0: eight four. Okay, Mach, yeah, this
1: is, well Mach point nine. You're right. Okay, you're
2: right. It's Eight eight four. Airliner eight point eight zero or point eight two, something like that. Rarely will they go eight four or eight five. Uh, okay. Uh, so this is, and I don't know. We're talking maybe 20, what twenty knots, Dave? Uh, a
0: little if more that, than that. A little more than yeah. that, but mm-hmm. yeah, okay. I'm
2: sure. I'm sure our listener will, will will figure this out on a standard day at at you know thirty three thousand feet or something like that. What what the mock and the
1: true airspeed would be. Okay, uh, but the against the wind thing. All right, let me just think about this for a second here. Just no, no I, the, the guy's a photographer. He's not a pilot. He's not a navigator. <laughs> yeah,
0: he, he, yeah, don't. What, get, you what know, is, cut, cut is happening here is He's burning a gob of fuel to do this. Well, he he, and, oh, he is yeah well the only what he's talking about is that the the captain pushed the airplane up to its maximum operating limit speed that's not v and e you only right. get the v and e and a d Dot. This, is,
2: this is this is barber pole
0: right this is uh, its maximum allowed speed and level cruise flight at and and uh point eight eight four that's 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 right up there kids uh point yeah. eight five is pretty high on, on on a lot of terms, and almost no one ever runs there because as you push those speeds up above nominal cruise, your fuel consumption goes up, but your speed doesn't go up proportionally. Right. So it costs you more fuel. But, you know, this is Iran air. Uh, <laughs> they, I'm not
1: they, sure they, what that they,
0: means, David, but okay. They, they, they well, probably
2: wouldn't... have a fairly close-by source of fresh jet A.
0: Oh, okay. All right. There is that. I hadn't thought of that part. Yeah, all right. And they set these speeds up, and the airplanes are certified to them. So uh, uh, you you, want to keep the airplane below that. That's like getting just up to the red dot, or like Jeb says, the barber pole. Uh, And it doesn't leave you any maneuvering room for turbulence. Right. right, you could very fi- easily find yourself over MMO and into VNE, right. or VMO and into VNE, right. uh, and you don't want to do that. Uh, it's hard on the airframe. But the SP is significantly shorter than the normal 747 100s and 200s of its day, uh, significantly faster, mm-hmm. and a lot of carriers used them as cargo planes or as combis. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they were actually pretty economical over medium to short routes because of their, their speed. They go a lot faster at the same fuel flow than the bigger ones would. So. I, I
2: knew a guy who was – who was um, he actually had his uh, type rating in this type and flew it – he was with a church ministry out of Ohio and flew it all over the world, mm-hmm. said it was a great airplane.
1: Yeah. Cool now so and I don't mean to, to, to uh, criticize the, the uh, photographer um, but I, I do want to kind of educate me here for a second just and I think I know the answer to this, but but I'll ask it anyways Mach is a measure of airspeed or ground speed. Airspeed. Airspeed. That's what I thought. Airspeed. So that's why we, I laughed at the wind thing, right? Because the wind right. wouldn't be relevant. It's yeah, right. Okay.
0: Yeah. Actually, if anything, the fact that he was, you know, uh, pushing against the wind would be a good reason to push the throttles up if he were trying to keep to a schedule.
2: Mm-hmm. That's exactly okay. right. You want you want to speed up into a headwind and slow down with a tailwind. Right. From
0: that, yeah. and, and and Jeb and I have both done this in our personal flying. Nudge the throttle a little bit above what we normally would do that would give us optimal fuel efficiency uh, to get a few more knots against the wind to try to keep to something closer to the the scheduled arrival that we wanted. And as long as you got the fuel reserves to do it, uh, the only limitation is how you're going to feel about the dent in your wallet. That's right. Yeah, And the captain's not buying the gas on this airplane. So (laughs) Exactly right.
1: Yeah, well, there are all kinds of jokes, Iran jokes, that we won't go into here, but you never know. Uh, Okay, well, that's cool. So check out the picture. It's a really cool picture. Um, Not on the list. This picture makes me think of another picture I've seen floating around the net uh, these days, a high, high, high high-res picture of the space shuttle flight deck. Have you guys see, either of you seen this picture? Yeah. I've seen something like that but not recently. It's insanely high definition. I mean, huh. the 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 uh the the example they give is that somebody managed to you can zoom in so far that they actually found a Phillips head screw that had its head stripped, all right? No joke. All right? Uh, it's that high resolution well, image. This was this VR uh shooting yeah, well, it's they, also, right, it's also this 360-degree, yeah, right. Right, um, it's,
0: just, it, 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 it's extraordinary of, uh, but it's a very small space. that photo is just de- is, is de- deceiving in a lot of ways. I know yeah, it does look like a relatively
1: not large but you know not tiny space, and uh, that's the space shuttle we're talking about you know right. but uh, um, this picture by the way, the uh, 747 SP picture, um, we're looking at a copy of it that's, that's published on airliners.net in their forums, and uh, we will, of course put a link to it or Jeff will put a link to it in the show notes and uh,
0: Sam Chu. nice shot, Sam. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Nice stuff. Oh, it's tough lighting. Really tough lighting. Oh, yeah. Uh
1: and it's done really well in that regard too. It's uh it's although you can't see out the windows
0: because it's way too bright outdoors. Uh it's you can see Well, there's a way to balance that, but there may have been nothing out there to see but cloud. Possibly.
1: Yep, that's true. Yep. Yeah. So, so the uh, the internet, particularly uh, the aviation internet, um, has been kind of talking a lot lately over the last few days um, about the passing of a woman named Evelyn Bryan Johnson, um, and uh, uh, AKA uh, I'm sorry, I want to make sure I get this right, Mama Bird, uh, Mama Bird Johnson, uh, who was 102 years old at the time of her passing, and had was just a, a, a quite the impressive pilot. I have a confession here. Uh, I may be the only person in the aviation world, if the Internet is any indication. I may be the only person who's not familiar with uh, with Mama Bird Johnson. Uh, can you guys tell me about her? What, what, what? Tell me about Mama Bird.
0: I've been hearing about her for 30 years and yeah. never met her. Yeah, I mean, same uh, here. Same here. But here, here's some clues, insights. Uh, when she passed, she was a 102. Uh, that means that she was born, do the math, uh, 1910. She was 34 when she started flying in 1944. And through the rest of her life, instructing, setting world records, uh, she amassed more than 57,000 hours. Yeah. In a huge variety of airplanes, taught an amazing number of people to fly. Hey, here's a here's a ringer for you. She was born just six years after the Wright brothers yep. uh, made their first flight. Yeah. And, uh, in one of the regrets you know you you don't get to meet everybody that you hear about and admire in this in this community if you're lucky, you get to meet some of the ones that you really want to. I never got to meet Mama Bird, but I sure heard a lot about her over the years, particularly when I was back at a o p a yeah according and to this lifetime is about seven years mm-hmm. of life, yeah very, very spent cool. this is- proves my point. <laughs> there you go. Exactly right.
1: Exactly right. Uh, we're reading from the uh, an NPR dot uh, uh, org uh, story. Um, another uh, uh, item here from the story is uh, she. Uh, again, this is by her, according to the story. It says by her own estimation, she trained some five thousand pilots, uh, yeah. including uh, many who are today flying commercial jetliners. Um, She told an NPR reporter that two of them turned out to be vice presidents of U.S. Air. One of them was a 30-year pilot for FedEx. She goes on. um, uh, Seems like quite a person. Uh, Seems like she uh, made a great impact on aviation. Um, There was little chance I was ever going to meet her. I'm sorry that I wasn't aware of her while she was still alive. Kind of sad. But, uh, um, you
0: know. The fact that... She lived a life so memorable that we're here discussing her today, and that other people have discussed her since her passing, uh, is uh, is is a real solid indication of the the kind of impact that she had and, and her place in aviation. Yeah. Yep.
1: And by the way, this very nice picture of her on the NPR NPR dot uh, org story shows her sitting in front of a uh, a Cessna one hundred and fifty. You know i'm just like making my my case here you know all the really cool, good aer- good airplane all the really cool people you know and uh, and of course sess is going to start manufacturing them again oh no never mind that wasn't true um anyways uh our condolences to uh, all of her family and and friends and uh, um we thank her for her life in aviation Let's see now. I'm not sure why. So I think I did. I put this story on the list. Let's see who put this story on the list. Uh, no, Jeb, you put this story on the list. NTSB uh-huh. to present findings of safety study on experimental amateur built aircraft. Okay. Yeah, well, you put it on the list, so I don't need to figure out why it's important. You tell me.
2: <laughs> well, I don't know that it's, 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 <laughs> it's, a, it's a milestone. Okay. Yeah. Um, this started, I guess, about this time a year ago. Uh, the NTSB and the EAA both got together um, and put online a, um, a study, a, 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 a questionnaire, let's put it that way, uh, of people to fill in some information, basic information about their experimental amateur-built aircraft. And experimental amateur-built is, is the FAA's term for, for your basic home-built. It could be um, um, a Breezy, it could be a Lancer 4P, and everything in between. So the NTSB has been concerned about uh, safety among the uh, experimental amateur-built community for some time. Um, if you look at the accident statistics, um, flying an experimental amateur-built aircraft uh, is statistically riskier than doing so in a certificated airplane aircraft. Um, what that means, why it exists, why it is. Um, uh, the NTSB is trying to figure that out. They collected some basic data, again, with the, with the uh, help and cooperation of, uh, of EAA. And now the NTSB has today announced, um, <clears throat> the board itself, the National Transport Sa- Transportation Safety Board itself, will meet later this month on May 22, uh, to consider the findings, consider a draft, uh, um, um, Study that they're they're calling it basically uh, results of that questionnaire. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they have to say, and I'm sure this will be a topic uh, going into the summer and going into Oshkosh again this year. Just as the the survey and the questionnaire, it was uh, the questionnaire and the survey were you know, uh, topics last year.
1: Do, do I mean you mentioned we, this was motivated by by NTSB and EAA? Do, do we have some some sense of? Well, I'm why- sure it
2: was motivated by NTSB. EAA participated.
1: Uh huh. What? Where where does this come from? I mean, do they are they do they have good motivations or suspect motivations or? I think
2: in their heart of hearts they have good motivations, mm-hmm. um, and from all uh, appearances, those motivations are motivated or are engendered uh, by um, you know statistical uh, evidence.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, what do they recommend we do about?
1: It? Right. Okay.
2: Question, and, and it's not like the the industry itself hasn't been trying to to um, uh, lower these accident rates, and and you know, God, let's think about it for a second. What if we had not been trying to lower some of these accident rates? What if we didn't have some of the programs in place like EAA does? Mm-hmm. What if What if we didn't have uh, some of the uh, uh, rigorous uh, peer review with which I'm familiar in the, in the experimental community? Mm-hmm. Uh, where would we be then, and the same is true for for the rest of the, the the general aviation community too it's not like we've been standing still are there are there other things we can do? Sure uh, there probably are let's let's you know it never hurts to have good data and and to interpret it, but without seeing what the board might recommend or might consider recommending i I really don't have much else to say, yeah
0: David, anything you want to add to this well, for most of its history the NTSB was the most apolitical organization inside the Beltway. And it largely remains that way to this day. But that's not to say that uh, popular cause or concern can't make one area of aviation or transportation a little more interesting or a little more uh, attractive to look at than another. Uh, I don't look at this as one of those. Uh, I, I think this is this is not a new issue no. uh, this just didn 't come out of the blue since Deborah hurstman took over the n t s b uh, chairmanship uh, we 've known about this track record issue uh, going back a long time so uh if they can come forward with something that advances the cause of safety and is actually helpful uh you know, all for it. Uh if it's gonna wind up with a bunch of uh unreasonable recommendations that the FAA will never act on and no one will ever consider. I don't expect that, but that would be yeah. disappointing.
2: Yeah, you know, it's an opportunity for everybody here. Um I mean we've talked about uh the NTSB in and, 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 uh some of the uh I don't know, political uh, thing that they've done over time. We can start with uh, uh, Roselawn, Indiana. We can go through T-Way 800. We can do a lot of... We can talk about a lot of these things. But they have an opportunity here to do this right and let's see if they do it.
1: Yeah. Cool. Okay. Uh... We talk a lot on this podcast we have over the last couple of years about uh, UAVs, unmanned aerial a- a- aircraft. Um, and uh, um, oh, I thought that was a TV show. Yeah, no, and uh, aviation UAV. One of the latest uh, stories is this taco copter. Uh, uh, fruit,
0: Unusual yeah. aerial victims union. Yeah, right. Uh, A three-hour cruise. Yeah,
1: right. So this taco (laughs) copter thing, um, you know, and people seem to want us to talk. I don't think there's anything for us to say about this, except to wonder whether or not this is real or whether this is a a hoax. I I think this is real. The taco copter is supposed to be a flying robot that delivers your Mexican food to your host. You know, this is just wacky enough to be a real Silicon Valley startup. What does Siri tell you? i i don't know i don't have siri i don't but yeah i get your i take your point okay um so uh might there be some other references out there somewhere i i wonder if any of us has access to a system that would allow us to uh to ask or, about this while, yeah. you, while you're looking Please. it up I, I have a confession i want to make and i make this confession in in the spirit of promoting <laughs> an ongoing conversation here um here's my confession and people may have gotten this from hearing me talk over the years uh I kind of lo- I kind of am fascinated by these UAVs and by these drones. Um, as a as a pilot, I am troubled by them being up in the in the you know even in 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 engine territory as Jeb likes to call it, um, you know over a few th- a thousand feet or a few thousand feet. Um, but as a technologist and as a you know, if, if I dare to call myself a futurist. I find these things really, really fascinating, um, and the, the the capabilities and the you know the things that they can do and and the the technology involved is pretty fascinating to me. And so I, think, I find I, I think you misread us. Yeah? Well, yeah, how how
0: do you feel the same way? Oh, I find them very fascinating. I've flown RC models at different points in my life, and I look at this as an extension of that whole thing, uh, except with a purpose more focus than recreation and the challenge of being able to fly something over your shoulder from left to right and not go right to left. Uh, it's the mixing of them in airspace when the person in control is nowhere near having eyeballs on other traffic. Mm-hmm. That's my that's that's yeah. where my hang-up is. Right. Yeah.
1: So do you think it's safe to say these things will – I mean, assuming you're not near an aer- airport, um, if as long as they stay below what, – what's the current number, like 400 feet or something like that? 400 AGL, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I think 400 AGL, you know, I don't – away from an airport traffic area, uh, yeah, no sweat, no strain. Yeah. Uh, you start putting them free range in the national airspace system at altitudes compatible with the rest of us. And some highly skilled, very well trained, but many, 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 many miles away operator who's going to be dealing with control lag and sensor lag and image lag because none of this stuff, if you've ever watched a TV show where part of the, part, part, part of the programming has been beamed into the original, lo, or the main location by satellite, mm-hmm. it could be almost like live. Right. Except then the guy asks somebody a question, and then there's this three, four, five, right. six seconds, and then the guy starts to answer the question. That's the six seconds that I'm worried about. Yeah, sort of sort of like our Skype connection to Jeb. Sometimes, <laughs> Sometimes yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> Except <laughs> I know. I Sorry, know, Jeb. No matter, matter <laughs> what happens. Jeb's Skype connection will not cause him to fly into anybody else. Oh, you never know, oh, right. but okay, right. Um, it may cause uh, him to fly off on a tangent, but that's collision free. Yeah, and, it's,
2: so, and, we're, and we're accustomed to El Piloto Loco flying off into a tangent. That's right, exactly. <laughs> um, but a, a little bit of the working of the Google machine tells me that both Wired magazine and the Los Angeles Times. Have labeled uh, flying the uh, taco copter, excuse me, uh, a, a hoax.
1: Oh. Sorry, man. Too bad. Too bad,
2: but it's an interesting business plan.
1: That would have been so cool for it to kind of hover down over you know your pool house, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of step outside the screenhouse there and accept your uh, bag of uh, Del Taco. And y- you know, you know, as long as the camera on the thing wasn't working, yeah. Yeah, well, there is that too. That's that's the other issue, even below, especially below four hundred feet. But uh, but yeah, so Jeb, I mean, all kidding aside, so do you do you also are you also of two minds with these things that. Uh, on, Are are you absolutely opposed to them? I I basically am, I guess.
2: I mean, I I can see, you know, I kind of like the idea of a a taco copter service. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. Um, Maybe it's not tacos. Maybe it's um, um, something else. I don't know. Um, Maybe we get to the point where these things are big enough and can carry enough weight that they're cabs. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And they have a vertical takeoff landing capability or something, and you prearrange the landing sites, and the landing sites get zeroed in by the the, uh, the system, and they come in and you hop in, and you push a button or slide a credit card, and off you go to the airport. Hmm. off you go to your office, or something like that. Maybe it's George Jetson or something. I can see you know a lot of practical uses, I can see a lot of practical applications. What I have a fundamental problem with is the lack of a human pair of eyes. And um, the ability to take over the controls if something goes wrong, in in with these things, if and when is more a matter of when they start mixing it up in the general airspace. Yeah. If they start mixing it up in the IFR airspace. They they better be ironclad. Talking about something that's uh, under 400 feet, not near, not operating near an airport. Um, um, you know, I don't think we're there yet on as far as the. Uh, The systems are concerned relative to totally autonomous flight um, carrying a human, for example, man-rated machine. Uh, I don't know if we're there yet. Uh, I kind of doubt it, or someone would be talking about that. Yeah. Um. But it it could be a neat thing. Yeah. It it could be you know there's a lot of interesting possibilities here, but the fundamental problem is the collision avoidance problem and especially what happens when the systems fail what happens what's the fail safe mm-hmm. and i haven't heard anybody talk about fail safes yeah and there is
0: not
1: there
2: is isn't one yeah right
1: so but as long as we program them to avoid uh getting into a uh exceeding a 35 degree bank turn for more than 30 seconds uh
2: <laughs> and, and anywhere <laughs> well, near the pole you you unbroke the code yeah
1: there we go. Okay. All right. Well, that's interesting. I thought I'd be the only one. I I figured you guys were just arbitrarily opposed to these things. Um, I, oh, I, wondered, I think I think
2: it's cool. I think it's I think it's cooler now, snot man. But th- there's all kinds of of problems once they start mixing it up with you and me and 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 the uh, the RJ smoking in from from BWI, you know. And, and, uh, and that's a what, whole different set of problems.
0: What chafes what chafes my shorts is this push to give them special dispensation to right. operate by rules different than what we have to operate uh, okay. on the right. basis of well it's good for the country it's good for business uh-huh. i'm sorry Bite my shiny metal container, but (laughs) unless they can play by the same rules as the rest of us, they don't freaking belong there. And I don't care what the profit to loss ratio is on it. One loss of a human being in an aircraft because of a drone or a UAV or a UAS or whatever that can't see and avoid negates the whole thing. Okay, all right, Jeb. Did
1: you really just say cooler than owl snot? Is that what you
0: said? (laughs) There are yes, very, very few people in the world that know how cool Al Snot really is. <laughs> okay. Dad, here comes Lassie. I wonder where she's been.
2: Hey, girl, what's wrong? Timmy, what's Lassie saying? Dad, she's saying that members of the uncontrolled airspace podcast are participating as private individuals <coughs> and that their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with Atta a girl lassie timmy let's get some rope they need our help <coughs> No, Dad. She says that anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. So you should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the
0: airplane, Dad. That a girl, Lassie.
1: Off-field landing of the week. we got two. Two off-field landings, both a little bit non-standard. Uh, the first one is a hot air balloon. A uh, hot air balloon makes an emergency landing. This is from NBCMiami.com. Oh, I'm looking at the mobile version of the page. I don't know. Lord knows what it's supposed to look like. Anyways, a hot air balloon made an emergency landing on a residential street in Boca Raton Saturday morning. This is from uh, a while ago, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, you know, um, it's funny how different balloon emergency landings are than airplane emergency landings. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, well, you know.
0: You know, it's unlikely the airplane is going to end up draping a house, is what we, we know. And uh, well, On we the other a... hand, most balloons don't have much forward velocity when they make an emergency landing. Yeah. They'll probably have more vertical than, than horizontal. Yeah, right. Jeb?
2: I, th- I thought we had a rule that the off-field landing of the week had to be a fixed-wing airplane.
1: I, no, I don't think that's why. Huh? When, we, when did we ever <laughs> make that the rule? I don't <laughs> think Dave? So. Well, yeah, was what was it again?
2: The the off-field landing of the week has to involve a fixed-wing airplane. I, I don't remember that rule. Me neither. All right, let's let's turn to the judges. Judges were oh the East German judges waving a flag. No, <laughs> never, never, mind. never
1: mind. No, one, a balloon grazed the roof of one of one home before landing on the grass. The TV station reported no one was hurt in the incident, and one resident, Scott. Liberto uh, even caught the fiasco on his video camera. The report, fiasco. yeah, I know that's what the source
0: said. Un- I do understand the pilot came down with a case of shingles, yeah. Okay, all right, so uh,
1: who, congr- who invited him again? I know, huh? So, uh, so this is the first one. Congratulations to the operator pilot of this uh, hot air balloon for, uh, and it doesn't say what the cause of, what, what the nature of the emergency was. and Was this just he was done for the day, or did was he losing lift and had to? Uh...
0: There's always the uh, common emergency with fixed-wing aircraft known as fuel exhaustion. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, okay, he, he was out of propane is what you're saying. I'm, I'm not saying that that's what happened. I'm just saying that if that's what happened, uh, that will be an emergency landing because you will lose uh, control over your vertical vector. Uh, you're already at the mercy of the horizontal vector. That's called wind. Uh, but the vertical vector is wholly dependent on generating enough hot air to counter gravity. And unless you've got a basket full of politicians, you run out of propane, you're in trouble.
1: All right, Jeb, so this second off-field landing of the week is, in fact, a fixed-wing aircraft, but somehow I think you're going to <laughs> object to this one as well, right? Uh, this is an off-field landing that, that happened uh, like 60 years ago. Uh, it happened.
2: Yeah, yeah it, 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 let's, let's further define the rules, okay? okay. The off-field landing <laughs> of the week has to have occurred since the beginning of this podcast, uh, this podcast. Uh, yeah, okay, <laughs> okay that's good that's no, no, saying, no, at no, least no. within
0: our lifespan but. this is a
2: cool kind of sad story it oh it's a great story it yeah. a great, it, it's not an off-field landing
1: of the week <laughs> this is from the tele, telegraph.co.uk website a uh, uh, World War Two plane found frozen in time deep in the Sahara an RAF fighter plane thought lost in the sands of time after its pilot crash landed in the desert and by the way I'll disagree with that uh, during World War two has been discovered in what has been described as, quote, the aviation equivalent of Tutankhamun's
0: tomb. I'm not sure if I buy that either. Yeah, um, yeah. Looking at the photos, it's in remarkably good shape. Yeah, yeah.
1: so this oh. is a apparently a, a P-40 uh, uh, with a lot
0: of bullet holes on it.
1: Yeah, uh, that is sitting on the sand out in the middle of the desert. Um, it's a little chewed up, uh, probably from a pretty rough landing. Uh, the evidence uh, at the site is that the pilot survived and probably tried to walk out and and was never seen or heard from again um but uh uh, this airplane's you know i mean all things considered is in pretty good condition for having sat out in the desert for i'm surprised well it probably has been buried and unburied and buried and unburied over the 60 years but as of right now it's pretty much sitting out on the sand yeah uh, the, the pictures
2: accompanying this don't show if it was you know dug out uh, of the of the ground, or if it was just all of a sudden, you know, the, the sand blew away and it was it materialized there on the on the desert floor. I, I can't tell, and the pictures aren't that good, but uh, it's reasonably complete. God did a great job of making what looks to have been a gear up landing, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. such that he could literally walk away from it,
1: yeah. According to the now st- they're searching um, so, for, yeah. they're
0: searching for him. Yeah, that yeah. seems very That's, unlikely. but uh, yeah.
1: Good luck with that. Yeah. Uh,
0: it you know, does, it's more it, unlikely than finding the bloody airplane to begin with. Yeah, I but mean, the airplane's mm-hmm. a little bigger
1: and, and a little bit easier to find from the air, which is apparently how they found it. Um huh. it was an oil industry worker. Let's see you now. I saw Pol- it here someplace. A Polish
0: oil company worker.
1: Polish oil, Polish oil company worker. Um, uh, Jakub- uh, Jacob. Jacob. Perka. Perka, exploring a remote region of the western desert in, in Egypt. Um, remote, you think? 200 <laughs> miles from the nearest town. Um, there was the,
2: Look look at the picture of the engine.
1: Yeah, oh, that's right. You can click through. I didn't actually look at the other pictures. Oh, look there's, at... there's, it's five of five. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, there's the bullet holes. Uh-huh. I mean,
0: the gun sight's still there. Uh-huh. The attitude gyro still, you know, it 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 died with the airplane in a right hand turn. That's the way I, they I, usually yeah, do it.
2: I, yeah, I think it all needs a yellow tag myself. But
0: <laughs> uh, they it, say it's that. A good thing he wasn't flying near one of the poles. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's yeah, the that's problem. Right. That's that thirty-five right. degree turn. The thing that sober[s] me up is that this uh, third shot. Uh, there's a lot of bullet holes in that airplane.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that's looks like the aft uh, aft fuselage, aft, yeah. just after the wing. Well, I suppose he that's was getting it shot looks, at
0: from below.
2: It, yeah, I was going to say, that looks like flack or something maybe from below. Could have
0: been, yeah. Uh-huh. Or he was uh, rolled he, over when he got shot.
2: Yeah, that or, or, or he's turning sideways or something like that. But sure. uh, it definitely came in from the belly. Those are exit holes.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, they believe that the pilot was a, uh, a gentleman by the name of, uh, let's see, first Sar- flight sergeant, Dennis Copping, who was 24 at the time, was never seen again. Um, they believe that there were signs at the site of a, uh, a makeshift campsite next to the airplane. Um, but then they believe that the pilot eventually decided to try and try and hike out of the desert. And
0: uh, um, Hey, anybody that's ever seen Flight of the Phoenix... You, know, you get kind of a clue to how remote that, that can be. The fact that this puppy sat out there for over 60 years without being discovered mm-hmm. tells you something about how remote it is. Because I don't believe this thing's been buried up above a tail fin and unburied. That's basically had sand shift around it. Because uh, there's there's not even a whole battery packed full of sand on the radio that he right, pulled right, out. Right.
2: You know, it's it's it, someone dug this out, or, or you know, did something because it didn't come out of the out of the ground like this. Someone's cleaned it up, and and there's been a lot of footprints around it and, and things like that. But here's what I'd really like to know is what the, what are the lat longs for this, and and can we zoom in on it on Google Maps?
1: Oh, you know, we probably can if we could find it. That's that's an interesting idea. We should look into that and uh, see whether or not it's uh,
2: there so are some. If there's any trace at all in the, in the recent image sequence. Yeah. That, and, and
0: that would reading, be very cool. Yeah. Reading this as the aviation equivalent of Tutankhamun's tomb immediately flashed me to Steve Martin's sketch.
2: Well, well, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it was just recently also that a cache of uh, British Spitfires.
1: Yeah down in found, uh, Singapore or something like that, right? I want to say Burma. Burma, okay, yep, yep.
2: Uh but it might have been Singapore. It no, no Singapore,
1: I, I could be wrong. I, I
2: don't I don't remember, but they were buried uh in the crates. They were they were fresh from the factory and the 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 forward operating base apparently to which they were shipped came under attack and they were, they were abandoning the base and didn't have the manpower to take the airplane, so they buried them. In, in their shipping crates.
1: Yeah, sure. Now, that's not exactly the way I heard the story. Yours could be right. The way I heard the story was that it was the end of the war, and they or the, the war, end of the war was near or something uh-huh. like that. And they were instructed, I don't know whether they were instructed to bury them, but they chose to bury them. And you're right. They buried them in the crates. Um, last I've heard, they haven't actually eyeballed any of these crates. They haven't actually dug any of them up yet. Um, they've done some research and found paperwork indicating where they believe they are. And I think somebody did some test borings and came up with some evidence that they really are there. Um, but they're going through the paperwork of trying to get permission from whatever government it is to dig them up. Well,
2: there's, I hate to do this, there's a Fox News uh, item, news item that's the most recent one on a quick Google. Um, it's Burma, yeah, um... Uh, 20 World War II era spitfires buried in Burma at the end of World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, there, apparently there was a dogfight. Oh, oh, no. You've got to be
1: kidding. What?
2: what? Uh, oh, okay, never mind. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I was just reading. Read, read, I read Donald Trump in here, and I'm like, you've got to be, <laughs> no. be kidding Okay, me. nope. Yeah. So, may the meteor hit
1: now. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, but what is, So does it say anything about whether any of them have been uncovered yet?
2: No, not yet. It's, apparently, it's all tied up in, in politics. Right, which,
1: that's what I had heard.
2: Shocking, shocking. I know, uh, I know. And apparently, no,
1: everybody's stepping up trying to get permission to uncover them, which uh-huh. makes me worry that, you know, some of them are going to be destroyed in the process and it's going to no. – I mean – or they're going to be, you know, the guy who spent 15 years looking for these
2: things mm-hmm. and finally found them, yep. kind of kind of is top of my list of the people who
1: should get them. Yeah, but of course, that's yeah, of course that's, that's always the way it works else. out, right? That's yeah. right. Yeah. Anyways, um, what was I going to say? Bur- you know, buried,
2: they were ra- waxed, wrapped in greased paper and tarred to protect against the elements. They were then buried in their shipping crates rather than let them fall into enemy
1: hands. Yeah. So there's every wow. every every belief that these things could be in just awesome condition. I mean, just uh, yeah. I hope I yeah. hope at least a few of them survive. This would be very, very, very cool.
2: Um the the only the biggest problem with the spits is they had some David stop jump in here anywhere. Um some of these were had a lot of fabrics surfaces, did they not? The control surfaces I think were fabric, Dave. Weren't yeah. they?
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and but they can overall, be recovered. They're even oh, so. The,
2: yeah, that can be recovered, but you know, there's obviously some wood in there and and, and things like that. But uh, I, don't, I don't know how dry a climate Burma is. My 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 impression tells me subtropical.
0: Well, but, if they were buried, though, it won't make any difference. True. It'll that's be true. constant humidity that's and true. temperature. That's true. Uh, and there may not be that much wood in them because, uh, for example, Beach eighteen, uh-huh. it's uh, it's a. Uh, airplane with fabric covered control surfaces but the structure underneath is all metal.
2: Here's so, here's the pun- here's the punchline in the story now again you know I would like to see some confirmation it says the Spitfire Mark 14 planes discovered. That's at le- That's late at least war. a dozen and as many as 20. Yeah. yeah, it was very late in the war. Uh, they use Rolls-Royce Griffin engines rather than the Merlin's of earlier models. The Griffin-powered airplanes could reach up to 140, uh, up to up to 440 miles per hour, thanks to a two thousand fifty horsepower engine. Woof, woof, yeah, yeah. woof.
1: <laughs> yeah, that'd be very cool. You know, another yeah. thing that would be kind of neat. I, you know, I, I'm not sure if this is true I, in the in the uh, Apple computer world. We have this notion that we, when you get, first get a new computer, we we talk about the out-of-box experience. All right, it's the whole the whole experience of opening up the the, uh, the new computer and and you know kind of taking it out of the box and you know you know enjoying that whole process. That would be really cool, I think, to to see. Actually, how these things were delivered to open mm-hmm. up the crate and to kind of see how it's packed and how it's organized, and you know, I just think that would be pretty fascinating, you know, all by itself. Um, so the whole,
2: the whole thing is a is a is a is a forensic uh, orgasm. Yeah, yeah exactly um, right. Yeah, it really, is. so many different ways. It really is. Yeah. And I think that should be the title of this. Yeah, I was yeah. just writing it down.
0: How do I lust thee? Let me sure. count the words. Yeah, so anyways, uh, reaching the end of our
1: allotted time here, uh, let's see now. One more thing. Hey. So uh, we talked a couple weeks ago, or last week, or recently about the uh, F-22 problem uh, problems, people not wanting to fly them, and how they still haven't quite figured out why uh, they're having problems with the, uh, with the what, the oxygen system. Um, apparently, this sec- is, Secretary... This is Def- another... This is another Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, it's okay. Well, apparently Secretary of Defense Leon Panetta uh, has uh, solved the problem. Um, So he's – I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No, so he's – let's see now. This is uh, from uh, AvWeb. Limits set for F-22 flights. Concern over the systems that deliver oxygen to pilots of the F-22. Tuesday led Defense Secretary Leon Panetta to set flight limits for the fighter jet and add safety measures. The jets must now be flown, quote, within proximity of potential landing locations. So, well, there you go. It's all the in, in how enemies, does that Enemies mean?
0: of America take note.
1: I know. So the F-22, state-of-the-art fighter plane, but it can't go very far away from, uh, you know, it's a home airport. airport. Yeah, you know. And I'm not sure how that helps, since the problem is that they go unconscious. They lose, they can't breathe. How does being close to an airport help you if you have... Suffocated. It, 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 it doesn't. means it's, that you got a
0: closer launch site for the search. and rescue. Yeah, right. I know, huh? You um, know, what? What is
2: proximity? Are we talking vertical proximity or horizontal proximity? I don't know. I can go to 80,000 feet and die in this thing because it, it has a, a faulty oxygen system, but I can do it right over an airport.
1: Yeah. Well, the, next, the next, next sentence says the specific restrictions, this is not quoting any longer, this is, is Web writing, the specific restrictions will be drawn by individual pilots and commanders, uh, Pentagon spokesman uh, told well, Washington that clarifies Post. Everything. Yeah, I know, right. So, of, course, uh,
2: of course, of course. Anyways, they're have, yeah. They're going to have charcoal filters. Oh, no, I'm sorry, they're, they're, the charcoal filters have been removed.
1: Yeah. Um yeah. Panetta told uh, Panetta told Donnelly, who's Donnelly? Oh, the Air Force Secretary. Donnelly to fit each F twenty two with an automatic backup oxygen system and ordered the Air Force to seek oh this is gonna work really well. Here's here's what <laughs> and I think ordered the Air should, Force yeah. to seek guidance from the Navy. Well <laughs> <And NASA. laughs> oh, that's oh. just gonna work. Oh, that's, that's gonna go yeah, over really That's good. gonna
2: go over really, really <laughs> well. Here's here's oh. what I think we should do. Yeah. Okay. We should set up um what's the the uh, website for um, collaborative financing?
1: Uh, uh, uh Kickstarter.
2: Kickstarter. We should set up a Kickstarter for the US Air Force and contract with somebody like um Aeromatics or Mountain High or somebody like that to buy these boys a portable oxygen system. <laughs> yeah,
0: okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, uh, they've got they've got a rather significant standby. And if... Uh, oxygen system in them now, but it's manually activated, and not if, if, in the most if, convenient location.
2: If if we do this right, we can get the Pentagon to buy you know uh, two or three ship sets per airplane of these portable oxygen systems and mark it up, and we can make a lot of money and we'll be fine.
1: There you go. There you go. Finance the uh, the uh, uncontrolled air the UCap uh, uh, Boeing Bizjet. Exactly. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. All right. Uh, Which I'm now
2: thinking is going to
1: be a 747 SP. That's you know, it actually makes a lot of sense. You're right. I think I think we should we'll, we'll put that on the agenda for the next meeting. Two quick listener questions here uh, from uh, listener DJ Torrente uh, who writes in the forums. He says I'm flying. He didn't actually say this. I'm kind of paraphrasing a different question, but that's what I'm doing. Uh, uh, if I'm flying a plane that's approved for either Avgas or MoGas, why should I choose one over the
0: other? Can I mix them? Should I? Actually, it varies with the STC in the airplane. About mixing? Uh, all of the above. Okay. Uh, Let's keep it simple here. We, Why we, we had we had a Cherokee 140 yeah. that had the MoGas STC, and per the terms of the STC, we were allowed to fly it on 100% uh, one hundred low lead, 100% MoGas, or any mixing proportion we wanted. And the airplane ran fine on it. I will confess that. The more we ran uh, Mogas through it, the less we worried about lead uh, oxide deposits on the spark plugs. No lead, no lead deposits. Ah, okay. All right. I mean, it, it,
1: m- uh, Autogas, Mogas is so much cheaper than Avgas. It's a no brainer,
0: right? If you can find it, that's the thing. Uh, a number oh. of the fuel oh. suppliers got real paranoid about this, and when they signed up, uh, FBOs to be their fuel suppliers added language that specifically prohibits the FBO from supplying MoGas under any circumstances in any form even on their own setting with their own trucks and MoGas went from being really pretty common a lot of small airports to just disappearing altogether hmm. okay and there's real there's never been a documented accident or incident never not in 20 odd years of mogas STCs, of mogas causing a problem that caused an accident or an incident with the airplane that was burning it. Still, these outfits insist on taking the lawyer way out and saying, "Oh no, no, we can't afford the liability." I'm sorry, that's a blizzard of blowing snow. Mm-hmm. What they don't want is the competition. Right, Jeb, you're trying to jump in here.
2: Well, not really. I, I guess I would I would say two things. Um, part of the problem with mogas is, in fact, the delivery systems. The typical airport, unless um, it has a fairly enlightened management and um, the resources and the determination to uh, acquire its own MoGas pumps, uh, likely isn't going to get any support from its distributor or a major oil company for distribution of MoGas on the airport. So it's either going to have to take the bull by the horns, not to mention the liability by the horns, and do this itself, or it's not going to have any MoGas available on the field. Uh, it's just the world we live in. So the, the real problem to me with MoGas is transporting it to and from the airplane. Um, you know, Get a uh, 100-gallon tank in the back of your pickup truck and fill it with MoGas and, and and drive it on to the airport and pump it and all, okay, fine. If you can even get permission to do that from the fire department, for example. Um, so there's a lot of of, of uh, hurdles here, hoops to jump through to be able to do this. The second problem I have with burning Mo gas in 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 a lot of airplanes, and I won't see the majority. I won't say the majority of them or most of them, but a lot of airplanes. Uh, the systems simply aren't designed you know, for, for MoGas. The mm-hmm. the, the, the gasket swell, the rubber bladders in which the fuel is stored you know, develop all kinds of different issues because of the different aromatics. Having said all of that, the other problem, of course, is getting ethanol-free MoGas. Right. Uh, ethanol generally, there's, I'm sure there's exceptions out there, but generally it's added at the depot level, uh, the regional level, if you will and And you know maybe when the when the fuel goes in the in the uh truck to head off to the service station um you so getting mogas gas that's the way it comes out of the pipeline I and mean, the ethanol is added locally um so it's certainly it's possible if you you know get some a, a supply of mo gas early enough in the distribution system. To get to easily get alcohol-free mogas gas, which is is what you want, um, ideally anyway, to to run in what we would think of as traditional airplanes, uh, or at least airplanes powered by what we would think of as traditional engines, Lycomings like and, and and Continentals. You get into Rotaxes and jabberos, um, uh, air, uh engines like that the engines are designed to run on mogas and in fact you have you know i think different maintenance requirements when you're running it on hundred low lead because of the lead deposits so there's a lot of benefits There can be a lot of benefits and of course it's a lot cheaper um, that said you know it's it's not too hard to shop around and and find along the route uh, that at least i fly lately and fly and find um hundred low lead for maybe a dollar more than the street price on premium uh premium mogas and premium mo gas is what you want to run in the aircraft engine anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, there's a lot going on there. You know, for some people, uh, it's a great uh, alternative. For some people, not so much. Uh, it all depends on the logistics and what aircraft, airplane you're flying and how you're flying it and what you're comfortable with. Yeah, okay.
1: Um, I think I'm going to push this other listener question for. Uh, we'll hold it for next week or some future episode. Give you
0: the answer in one word.
1: Okay, what's that?
0: Yes. Okay.
1: No. <laughs> you, were supposed to, you were supposed to say it depends. No. No.
0: <laughs> no.
1: Okay. No, all right. Well, there you go. We have no. a we have a a and Slut thing all set up for next time where we'll uh, we'll hold that for. But the, for... The, the honest answer is yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fine. Um, shout outs. Uh, I have one shout out here. Uh, do you guys have any? I'll go with mine first. Um, I don't want to make too big a deal out of this right, we- one. Why, why, why don't we just make this from all three of us? Okay. I, well, I, I didn't want to speak for you because I wasn't sure what you guys felt. Um, we talked in the past about the fact that uh, a former FAA administrator Randy Babbitt was uh, was arrested and charged with driving under the influence. Uh, that uh, incident uh, led to, uh, pretty quickly to him resigning as administrator. And uh, and uh, you know we we talked about it. We joked a little bit about it. Um, and uh, and and I don't
0: know whether you we, want to we, say we, we had a feeling that it was. Not all it was reported to be
1: yeah and and so I just want to kind of you know to close off the story uh uh in the last couple of weeks uh that case actually went to court, and uh, charges were dismissed um, uh, on apparently the way it all came down was that uh, there was some video of the incident perhaps from one of the police cars that showed that uh uh the uh, the the incident that apparently triggered the administrator being pulled over uh was not reasonable uh, apparently he made a perfectly legal turn onto something or other or some side street or private prop- private property or something like that and as a result the police uh were not apparently and again i'm kind of summarizing here i'm kind of doing the holiday and express thing but uh um, they weren't entitled to pull him over in the first place, and that made the whole rest of the thing um, right. uh, inadmissible. The, the,
0: ju- the judge was not impressed. Yeah.
1: yeah. So uh, so the charges were dismissed. Um, separately, uh, Administrator Babbitt's uh, uh, lawyers indicated that they further had a defense uh, for the administrator uh, should it come to a question of whether he was actually uh, legally under the influence. Um, and so they, they claimed that they... Th- th- my point being here that it wasn't necessarily just a loophole and the administrator got off. Right, um, right. It, it's just not clear what really happened that night. Um, what is very clear is Administrator Babbitt's uh, career took
0: a real uh, sudden turn. Uh, and, uh, and and what's, what's clear here is the only person who seemed to have acted honorably was the administrator. Yeah. Right.
1: And exactly. so my shout out would be and it sounds like you guys are gonna agree with me, my shout out would be to uh, wish the best of luck to uh, former administrator Randy Babbitt who by every indication by my, my seeing him from a distance a couple times and hearing him speak and reading about him seemed to be a, a, a good guy, uh, and a guy that was going to help aviation and a guy that was going to help general aviation. And, uh, it's,
0: he, he was the best pick that we'd had in years. Yeah.
1: And so it's, it seems regrettable that we've lost him as administrator. Um, but, uh, I, I again, speaking for myself, but maybe for you guys as well, you uh, we want to wish yeah. him, wish him the best, uh, in in the Absolutely. future and and in whatever it is he does next, and hopefully general aviation and aviation in general will uh, have an opportunity to benefit from his his
0: uh, experience in the future we'll see i'm 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 only sorry that his attorneys didn't get a chance to have this puppy go down the tubes with an acquittal yeah yeah, but you know you uh, just yeah yeah i you know the, the dismissal is good yeah because it it it, it it's, it it didn't play right from the beginning but and i know that's stretch of road and it can be kind of confusing and turning into a parking lot mistaking that for the enter, in, entrance to another street or a development is not a cause to be pulled over for right So, anyways, we wish him well. We wish him the best. And uh,
1: unless you guys want to to see
0: him back in his position of influence.
1: Yeah, hopefully. But unfortunately, that's probably not going to happen. It'll be a while before he he recovers from this, if ever. Um, Anyways, um, best of luck to Randy Babbitt. Other shout-outs? Not at this time. Really? No kidding. Not at this time. All right. You're going to have to stretch for a second while I find the little piece of paper that has... Uh... Scratch, 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 right. scratch. <laughs> scratch, scratch. Time to stick a fork scratch, in this one. Scratch. Out. Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Wait a second. They,
2: they have a U.S.
1: editor. They have an
2: editor for every country?
1: Apparently. Apparently. I You know, I uh, it's it must be true, because we've been saying it for six years. Um... <laughs> and now I'll ask him a question and uh, I've been asking it for about 6 weeks now and it still seems to surprise him. David, what are you been working on? Anything you can tell us about?
0: Uh yeah, actually uh I got I got an interesting little piece coming out in the next Aviation Safety about uh uh how to fly safer. Sounds cool. Sounds <laughs> cool. what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess. <get> <laughs> all right. All right. And where
1: can people find you on the internet, David?
0: Oh, uh com, AEA dot net aviation safety magazine dot com, uh a couple of membership organizations that use my stuff, but I can't give those away. Uh or do a Google search and you know, it's it's, it's like opening a surprise package. There you go. A- I, I, I will say
2: this. I was Googling some stuff uh earlier in the week trying to finish up a project, and um some of the stuff I Googled came up written by Dave Higdon. Uh oh. And I was like, but Thankfully enough, it was, you know, a couple of years out of date, so I didn't have to, and the, and the situation changed, so I didn't have to crib too badly from it.
1: <laughs> and that's Jeb Burnside. He's a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. What have you been working on, Jeb?
2: Well, the aforementioned uh, Aviation Safety Magazine is in the can, has been for a week or so. That's uh, the June issue. And, uh, yeah, we have a, an article in there from Mr. Higdon here. We have an article from it. Amy um, uh, I wrote a couple of things in there, and uh, uh, it's a it's a nice issue. Uh, uh, got a lot of good art in it, and uh, you know a lot of pretty pictures and and stuff like that. So we like uh, the pretty pictures. But, yeah. Oh yeah, you know it, it 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 helps us avoid having to read all the words. I know, really.
0: There you go. And, and with, uh, with the guy that came up with the phrase "a picture is worth a thousand words" is a copywriter. <laughs> <laughs> Jeb, where can people find you on the internet?
2: Ah, jeburnside.com, aviationsafetymagazine.com, sometimes on avweb.com, sometimes on AEA.net.
1: And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, You can learn more about me at uh, jackhodgson.com around the field, and uh, check out my Amazon uh, e-books, Kindle e-books, at amazon.com slash author slash jackhodgson. Big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our show notes and for the help that he gives us with the UCAP forums. Thanks to Mike Morgan, Royce Earl, Jim Golden, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips. Yay, raw guys. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big, big help. And don't forget you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com.
0: David, something you were going to say? If you want to live like Evelyn Bryan Johnson, go fly, because obviously time spent flying was not subtracted from her lifespan. So long.
1: And that's enough talking. Let's go flying.
2: Alpha Mike Foxtrot.
0: young man, he never thought it would see, people stand in line to see the boy king, how'd you get so funky, did you do the funky?